0: Answers. Wow! he's got all the answers,
1: <laughs> tee <Tee-hee. laughs> yes,
2: welcome to Coffee Rants and All Things Christian with the Parkview Pastors, my name is David Harris and joining me as always is Daniel Morris, tee hee. John Seth Salmons, <laughs> Skyler Teal, Yo, and Mike Tatum. Skylar recently went to Birmingham, Alabama, and brought back some coffee from Revelator Coffee. This is their house blend; they call it Petunias, and we'll taste it. Say what, see what we think. What'd you call it, Petunias? <laughs> relevator? or revelator? revelator? Okay, good. Yeah,
3: yeah. I kept getting confused if it was Revelator or rev- Revelator. Yeah, Ooh. Revelator. Revelator.
4: Smells great.
2: Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah, it is. That'd be good in pour over yeah yeah to me when i was grinding the coffee it smelled like coffee that would go better with milk it was pretty Ooh. it was pretty dark and it didn't smell very sweet but it actually tastes really good surprisingly it is a little darker than our usual
4: yeah but it's, it's got a good good taste
2: yeah they say it's crowd pleaser middle of the road coffee balanced and sweet great for any brew method yeah, yeah they didn't put it's a ton good of tasting coffee. notes on no, just cocoa and cherry is what they said. I feel like cocoa is typically
4: code for dark roast. Yes, exactly. Yes,
3: I think that this one was considered their medium roast, though,
1: which is interesting. Mm. But it it brews like a dark roast mm-hmm. or a darker roast. I think.
0: I wonder if it's because of the because we made it in the coffee pot. Could be. Yeah, if it brewed it darker than if it were pour over. <clears throat> it's really good though. Yeah, yeah I that
1: like good. it. Was it
2: was it whole bean or ground? Whole bean. Oh, I ground okay. it at my house. I oh, okay. brought it here. So, mm. Yep, so this is also out of our coffee pot. Yeah, that's good. I could drink that. I think Revelator's all over. There's one in Atlanta, too. So mm. I guess they've got them in different places. Because nice. you, it wasn't Birmingham. I don't know. John said right? told me where to go. So okay.
0: I gave him that one and seeds.
2: <laughs> I've heard good things. About seeds that too. is good, too. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing in the coffee, Skyler. No problem. <clears throat> well, are uh, you drinking
3: it without French vanilla? Yes. yes wow. Yes, I am. I did not come prepared with my French you vanilla. You so need You can't put your timestamp on here
2: when I put my I French know. vanilla in the coffee. Now, if you have it, if you have French vanilla, would it happen? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> always going to add
3: French vanilla if it's there.
2: Yeah. Well, Skylar, you want to intro this banter topic for today? Banter, 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 banter,
3: banter. All right. What are some weird quirks of cars you've owned? Oof. I have have one currently in my (laughs) Toyota Tacoma. The air conditioner only works on high at times. And so I looked up a YouTube video of how to fix it. And there's something under the passenger side area, just a little, little adapter that I could buy. However, if you just wiggle it a little bit, then it'll make it work. So I've just been, you know, sounds
4: to me like it works fine. Yeah, Yeah, it works okay.
3: So when you get, if anybody ever gets into the passenger seat side, just watch your feet placement because. You might knock the the AC out a little. Yeah.
2: Out of whack a little bit. Why would you spend $5 on an adapter? Yeah. <laughs> you could just walk over to the other side and give right. it a little yeah. My last car had a tape deck and a CD player. Ooh. Mine did as well. And a touchscreen. Oh. oh wow. 2005 Prius I had a tape player and a touchscreen. Really weird. I forgot
1: yeah. that he drove a Prius. Fancy. <laughs>
2: touch. Screen.
1: I drove a 74 Pinto once. Those were the ones that were uh they had, like, a design flaw that if you got rear-ended in an accident, it'd blow up. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, was made the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh,
4: man. But interesting. That's pretty <laughs> quirky of your car. Of your car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, right. all right. I would call that quirky. Just checking. Might be
3: the next level above quirky. <laughs> <laughs> we do
4: drive Hondas, and uh, they are full of little pieces of plastic that break. Yes, sir. So. Yes, sir. So. Mm. Maybe that's quirky. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a scam also. But
0: uh, I don't know about quirky. I had a lot of engines blow up.
1: Oh, wow. Well, it, there's <laughs> this stuff a called air oil,
0: air oil yeah, say. that you yeah, have to, to keep, oil
1: keep in that.
0: them. I did that. Okay.
1: Once. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've had an oil change. No, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about quirky. Cor- well, actually, one th- in one of my vehicles, the window to like the four window buttons, my wow. window, driver window, that button would actually roll down the <clears throat> rear passenger window. Because the elevator, <laughs> that My... It was... Quirky. Yeah. It was a car that I bought used, and the dude before me tried to...
2: Rewire, rewire it? Rewire it. Nice.
3: So he got me. He's nice. a good troll. Yeah. She give like, a shout-out to, to uh, Tyler Creel. Didn't you ride with him recently? I did.
2: <laughs> um, I got in the car with him, and he was like, hey, just so you know, every time I take a left turn... I'm sorry. Every time I take a right turn, all the lights on my dash are going to come up and it's going to start beeping, but don't freak out. I can (laughs) fix it. So I'm like, that's really weird. Um, so we pull out of, he works at Mount Carmel and we pull out to go to lunch and he takes a right turn and I hear really loud beeping. All the lights come on. So what he does is he jerks his steering wheel left for like half a second, just like a <laughs> ramp and then it's done. It's fixed. Nothing. All the lights go off. It stops. So no, So nothing's so wrong with his car. He's good. Yeah,
0: Pretty exactly.
2: Smart. So every time we took a right turn, which was like three times, it would freak out, and he would just jerk it left real quick, like right. <laughs> it would fix everything. I was so like, stupid. dude, this is uh, this is not okay. <laughs> that's, that's exciting. Yep. I haven't had anything quite that bad. My first car was a '98 Isuzu Rodeo. The gas gauge didn't work. The AC didn't work. Nice. So I ran out of gas multiple times because you you would reset your trip and track how many miles you get. Hmm. But it seemed like every time <laughs> I did it, I would get less and less and less
1: miles out of it. So I'd run out of gas every <sighs> time. It was terrible. Nice. The car that Junior and I drove in Germany was a 74 Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. And the gas gauge didn't work. And so we would run out of gas from time to time. Mm-hmm. That and the, the levers for the heater boxes... Were were broke. They didn't work either, and so in the wintertime when it got cold, I had to I had to take like safety wire and open up the heater boxes so that they would just stay open all the time. the The problem is is that the heat would come out from under the seats, and so Judy had to ride with her feet up like on the dashboard, or it would melt the rubber on her on her oh shoes. It's hard, so, oh, you because get pretty warm, you know. But yeah, we got used to it, so it, it was it was fine. It was, wow. We were young and in love, and none of that mattered. So <laughs> All right, French toast or pancakes?
3: Man, this was hard for me. I don't like this question.
1: Yes, French toast.
3: Yes, is the correct
2: answer. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I go with French toast. I I love French toast. I love
2: French toast. I
1: I love French toast, and there was a time I probably would have said that, but I think I I order if I go to. If I go to like Cracker Barrel, you have like Mama's French toast and Mama's, pancakes. I'm I get, Mama's pancakes. I am getting Mama's pancakes every time. Toast. Absolutely the pancakes. S- so I I, get I'm, the French I'm, toast. I'm gonna have to say pancakes, but I really like French toast. I just haven't had it in a while, and I've gotten used to pancakes. Mm.
2: So now that one was French pretty toast. easy for me. Not opposed. I to would French take toast. Mama's French toast breakfast. Me too, mm-hmm. every time.
0: I, I like pancakes. I like yeah. pancakes too. Ooh, we yeah. had pancakes on the Blackstone. Y'all, that was really good pancakes. So mm-hmm. how come
1: how come waffles didn't make the cut? Waffles. Yeah, I mean is it would changer. it would be the same answer for me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right?
0: <laughs> I would probably go with waffle over french toast. It depends on where I am. I love waffles. Mm. What if you
4: can uh, go wherever you want? Ooh, I think french
3: toast has, probably I, I, pancakes, I don't know. I right? I, I mean, hop yeah,
2: pancakes. well, it's yeah.
1: Gotta be hop waffle pancakes.
2: House waffles. I mean, you got it cuz don't have pancakes.
4: i would
0: probably go waffles over french toast.
2: I would too. Really? Mhm. I, I love pancakes. Love waffles. But they're probably third place of these three we've mentioned for me.
0: Like a nice Belgian waffle. Yeah. I love it. Well, Brittany has had actual so Belgian waffles so from Belgium.
4: Wow. God. I've had one from Disney World. <laughs> from Belgium and Disney World? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
3: yes.
2: By that logic, I've been to like 12 countries. That's well, yeah, right. <laughs> I walked all the way around the world there. That's right. That's, that's right. right.
1: That's, right. that's I mean, good. I, I um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I think I still have to go with pancakes, for now. But I like waffles. I mean, waffles. I like a good waffle.
2: Is IHOP the consensus
1: for best pancake? No, I don't think so. It Mike's should wrong. be. <laughs> <laughs> it is for the rest of us. No, I think Cracker Barrel has the best pancakes. They're good, but because they got that little crisp around the edge, man. I don't think yes. you get that at, at IHOP. You don't. Now uh, IHOP. I mean IHOP is good because you get like a stack of pancakes with every meal, so yes. they're free in a sense. So, I, yes. I'm always about that. Yeah. Mm.
3: I thought you were coming to the dark side recently. Like you went to IHOP. And I,
1: I, I did. did. I've been to IHOP a couple of times now.
3: I'm I'm good with IHOP. Yeah. Have you tried the I steak at IHOP though?
0: I have not tried <laughs> the steak at IHOP. <laughs> if I'm getting pancakes, I'm going to Denny's. Really? <laughs>
3: yeah. I used to like Denny's. Like I don't like no, IHOP no, pancakes.
1: Really? But see, I think yeah. I don't know. If not I'm going fan. to Denny's, I'm not getting. Let's well, go. Skyler,
2: I'm Skylar, I'm proud of you. You just yeah. finished his coffee. Put the wow. timestamp on right. How there. much? Uh, there. How much did you put in there? I mean, I put a halfway. Uh, this is a good bit. I, what, don't, what, good I don't know
4: big big what that means. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like
2: two sips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As his finger runs up yes. and down the. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: a good bit somewhere around here. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: You know, Skylar's being ambiguous when his uh, his voice raises two octaves. <laughs> 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 so we finished our doctrine
2: series and we're going to take a couple of podcasts to catch up on the questions that have been submitted. So today we're going to do a Q&A session. Number one, if you can invite a person from the Bible to be a guest on the podcast, who would it be? Not Jesus. Who would be your last choice? Not mm. Satan.
0: I've been thinking about this one. My last choice would be either Ananias or Sapphira, because I ain't trying Gosh to get struck
1: dead. You want to be as far away yeah. from that situation as possible.
0: Now, the person that I'd want to invite onto the podcast would be Barnabas, whose mm. mm. name is choice. actually Joseph, by the way. Why? <clears throat> I love encouraging people not wait, to, wait. Not you to love encourage people, I do or you love people who encourage Yes <laughs> <Okay. laughs> an encouraging person. And he is literally called the encourager. They don't even right. call him his name. His name's right. Joseph. It's referred to once, but then he is so encouraging that people are like, "You know what? We're changing your name. You're now the encourager. Yeah. That's the guy I'm trying to get behind." Yeah. Yeah. So he would be mine that I'd invite. and then
1: John Smith just has the match hype. Mm-hmm. so he figures Barnabas uh-huh. would be hype.
0: He may be, though, like a different
3: style encourager. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I just, I'd I'd be interested to have him on the podcast. Yeah. It'd be interesting to hear what his conversation with Paul was about Mark when they, when they uh, parted ways. Yeah. It'd be interesting to get Barnabas's take on how that all went down.
3: Mm. Mm. That'd be mine.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: I think the writer of Hebrews should come on the podcast. Yes. so we can yes. finally know so who it is. So
0: is. No, no. is. Yeah. Apollo. <laughs> 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 you should have just said you wanted Apollo on the podcast.
3: Yeah, I think Peter would be kind of a fun guest because you never know what he'd say. Right. Yeah. I'm
0: for that one too. <laughs> that was a close second for me. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. yeah.
3: I think the last person <clears throat> I thought about would be like King Herod because you know he almost Eesh. killed Jesus. Right. Yeah. yeah. Ruined the yeah. whole thing. Yep. Yeah.
1: Pilot. Jerk. <laughs> Those guys. I'd fight Pilot, dude. I don't know. I, 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 I almost need a Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Go for I'm your shocked. Here. Only, only because, because each of them would bring a different uh, conversation to the table. Like for me, it would be, it would be Joseph from the Old Testament, Joseph. Um, just, just to hear uh, his perspective on the suffering and trials and difficulties and all of that. But I also thought it would be interesting to bring on a guy like Demas... Where in the New Testament, Demas is only referred to about three different times, but every time he's referred to, you can see him slipping further and further away from the faith. And, and it would be interesting to have him huh. on to talk about what a slow drift looks like. Uh, when, when you, oh, th- that we don't drift to whor- holiness, we always tend to drift away from holiness and w- unless we're intentional about it. Mm-hmm. So I thought Demas would be, uh, again, so That's it just depends on one. where you want the, the conversation sure. to go. Um, least, least person, least favorite. Uh, you no, know it'd be interesting too, would be Lazarus. Mm. To say, dude, what was it like for them four days? Yeah, you yeah. know, because we don't—we're not told anything. He's like, I don't remember. So, <laughs> I know, right? so, so anyway, I—I I don't know. Thanks for joining the, us. Uh, somebody, guys, you guys can go on to the. Wait, what? Oh no, that he was saying oh. Lazarus would be like, I don't remember, and we'd yeah. be like, Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. For, okay. Yeah. Um, so to somebody else can right. say their favorite or their one that they would bring on, and let me let me uh, think about who my one mm. that I would not—my least favorite would be. I was but, kind of thinking, you know. Paul or yeah, uh, I of. one of the gospel
4: writers yeah. uh, would be fun. Um, Luke, seemed like he knew all those guys. Mm-hmm. could be interesting. My, but then my, I thought maybe, you know, Timothy, so we could find out what Paul was really like. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah, that's fair.
1: Give us the garbage. You know? <clears throat> my first
2: thought was Paul, just to pick his brain on all of his writings and to talk to him about all the division it has unintentionally caused. and. Just get his take. I mean, like it'd be Maybe crazy. see to be what
4: to talk his to him. big
2: problem with punctuation was.
4: You know? <laughs> <laughs> what the thorn in
3: of the that, flesh yeah, was. Hey, that's yeah. true. Yeah.
2: But my second thought was David, just so I can see how
1: good at the harp he actually was. That's that was another one that I thought <laughs> about. I mean, must how be really David, good. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> I, I do think probably the the last choice would probably be somebody like Ahab or Jezebel. One yeah. of Jezebel's of a mm. good one. So.
0: To okay. not have, I don't want to clarify.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I thought
3: Daniel would be kind of a cool mm. guest just because of living in a culture that
1: mm-hmm. is a little bit counter. Now, you know who would be a hype hmm. guest? Samson.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Samson would be a hype guest, I think. <laughs> Probably yeah. so.
0: It's just before he was put up yeah. on the columns. And While he yeah. still had eyes, yes. Yeah. And yes. long hair. Yeah. Or as the Bible series on Netflix put out, he was like, Jack with dreadlocks. Yes. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Daniel would be interesting though because I I would love to pick his brain on like his prayer life.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of interesting Bible. Oh
3: yeah.
0: People, yeah, there really. Elijah or Elisha. Yeah. Elisha, I can ask him about how can I call bears out of the woods
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to maul children.
0: <laughs> if we invited Jesus onto the podcast, we could ask him a bunch of questions and he would give us all the answers.
2: I don't know who my least, like who my last choice would be. I don't yeah. know.
3: I thought about like, I mean like, Jonah kind of like a punk. Like, he kinda yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yeah. Come on, man. So he might not maybe.
4: have fun to have around, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe not. Yeah. He'd be it's like, can up. you turn the AC down in this place? <laughs> <laughs>
2: all right. We'll go on to the second question. What are saints? How are they defined? Is there a difference in what we refer to as saints and Catholic saints?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> saints are believers. Yeah. When Paul yeah. writes to the churches, yeah. he is writing, he uses the word, he uses saints. Um, it, it comes from a word that just means to be set apart, uh, to be sanctified. And, um, and so when we, and we believe that that's what we've been. We, even walking through our doctrinal series, we talk about how we are justified by faith in Christ, and uh, and we are positionally sanctified in that moment. But then we work through this process of sanctification. So, so that our understanding of saint and a Catholic understanding of saint probably looks at both of those aspects of salvation. Uh, we believe that when we are saved, we are positionally sanctified. We are positionally set apart. We receive the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit, and so we begin this journey of sanctification that ends at death when we enter into the presence of our of our King. We are, but but in that sense, we are being sanctified, but we are also fully sanctified. Uh, so so it's kind of a tension there that we don't understand. And so we we believe as Baptists. And most, I think, most Protestants would would believe as well that um, that saints is a reference to those who have been converted, uh, who have been justified by God, set in a right relationship with Him, and then are are living uh, living for the glory of Christ and His kingdom. Um, so that's what that's what a saint in the the Bible is. Um, now there is a little bit of a differentiation in, in Catholicism with that um, is because uh, they're not necessarily. Uh, they, they believe in, in justification by faith. At least that's what their official doctrine is. Uh, but the sanctifying process is a process that, um, that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily positional. Um, it's one that's worked out. Um, and it doesn't necessarily end at death, which is why you have the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. Uh, because what the uh, Catholicism believes that you can't enter into heaven until you've been completely expiated. And, and so all of your sins have been forgiven. You've be, been completely purged of any <clears throat> sin and they don't necessarily believe that that has to happen in the physical life. It carries over into the, into the afterlife and, and uh, in a place called purgatory, that's where their doctrine of purgatory comes from is that when we die, we go to purgatory so that we can finish out the sanctification process before we are finally glorified into, into heaven. So where do saints come from? In the Catholic Church, those are those are people who, uh, in hindsight, the Church looks back at and says that they lived noble, uh, virtuous, righteous lives, serving the good of others, doing all of these great things. And the Catholic Church actually takes steps to recognize and then canonize these individuals as saints. They they recognize the sainthood of others who have gone before them. Um and so, you know, it's it's hard because of our, our different understanding of sanctification, uh, we're gonna have a different view of, of who saints really are. It is interesting that there's a process I, I did I looked it up. And there's a there's a couple of steps um towards sainthood. Uh step one is you have to die. <laughs> um, you, you can't be a saint and still be alive. Uh, Catholic Church won't consider that until you're dead. So you die, and then you become, and then the next, the next level of understanding is a servant of God. The next level of understanding of, of sainthood is venerable, which means respected. Um, and then, and then you <clears throat> take another step and you're blessed. And then the final step to that is recognition as a saint. Um, and so you, you, once you're, once you're recognized as a saint, you are canonized into that, into that sainthood. And the understanding is, is that saints are no longer in purgatory and possibly never had to go to purgatory because they earned their sanctification huh. on this earth mm. so they would argue for instance that Mother Teresa at her death she was uh, she was given the status of saint, but i don 't know that any Catholic would ever argue that Mother Teresa had to spend a day in Purgatory because she lived her life so nobly and so well and and so but in in all of this again it's it's not it's just not, biblical theology. it's just not right yeah uh, there, and, and this is but see, and this is where the corruption came in uh, it, it was all of this that actually was actually the mechanism for the corruption that seeped in that led to the reformation because, because this is what happens if 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 you have a loved one that dies and and it's automatically assumed they're going to purgatory uh, the the reason why uh, indulgences were collected you could pay and indulgence and, and, and have the priest offer a prayer to a saint. And that saint is the one that, that allocates the sanctification to your loved one to get them out of purgatory and into heaven. And and so, so all, all of these doctrines, while they may sound, you know, you know, reasonable at, at some level, which I don't think it does. But but if somebody can rationalize that there, they're just it opens up so many opportunities for corruption mm-hmm. and, and manipulation uh, because because we're back in doing things in the work of men rather than than understanding salvation as a work of God. And, and so, so all of a sudden they, they began to manipulate folks into, you know, you could pay indulgences to build these cathedrals and pay indulgences to have this done and pay indulgences to the Catholic Church. And hey, you should pay. And the more you pay, the quicker your loved ones get out of purgatory and into heaven. You could see where the, the corruption would come from that. And that's really what, what drove kind of Luther over the edge and made him, you know, post his, his theses on, on the. On the door at the church in Wittenberg so yeah. um, so I, I think you know there there's a definite a difference in understanding between what a saint is in the New Testament what we believe saints to be and what a what sainthood official sainthood in the Catholic Church is recognized as yep. because the Saints are are when we talk about scripture we talk about the Canon of Scripture that is the rule this is it it is closed it is a it is a canon that has been affirmed by the church and Saints in the Catholic Church are also canonized. They are recognized and established by the Catholic church as such. And, in uh, and the bottom line is we understand that it is Christ in our salvation, our conversion that sanctifies us. Um, and then we live out, uh, obedience to the commands of Christ in our sanctification. But we are, we understand that if we are truly saved, then we are fully sanctified so that to be absent from the body, as Paul says, is to be present with Christ.
4: So, and we have no, uh, we have no desire or, or will to pray to dead people. Right. You know, we have right. a living savior. Mm-hmm. He's that's, the one we pray to. Cr-
1: that's right. Yeah. there There's no saint that acts as a mediator for us. And, and again, the Bible makes that clear. Jesus is our mediator. I and mean, the book yeah. of Hebrews is, I mean, that's one of the main arguments for that is stop, stop believing in these other things. Stop going to angels. You can go right to, right to Christ. Stop going to men. You can go right to Christ. So, Jesus is better. That's what we said in that whole series. Jesus is better than the law. It's better than man-made systems. It's better than a priesthood. He's the ultimate priest, You know, the, the great priest, the high priest. And, um, and so we don't, we don't have any other mediator. So that's good. Yep. Number three, we hear a lot about cancel culture
2: these days. Is cancel culture scriptural? In other words, can Christians involve themselves in canceling?
0: No, it's not scriptural. And I think I say that because... Shout out to my dad, because this is his question. Mm-hmm. Big Al. <laughs> Hootie. That's what they used to call him back in the day. He'll get a kick out of that. Hootie. It's for you, Hootie. Hootie and the Blowfish? Yeah. Darius Rucker? Yeah. On. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, cancel culture is in, almost like an in, in ethics, almost like a, a practical, like how we live, how you respond to things. And if we're going to take our Christianity into that realm of how we respond to people on social media or things that happen, then I think that cancel culture—if anyone deserves like—if—if if there's, we all deserve to be canceled because of sin in our life, and but Christ doesn't cancel us.
3: Yeah, there's Something always. I read, God will never cancel us.
0: Yeah, yeah, bad. exactly. He won't, and and for us to be living as imitators of God. No, we can't cancel people and we can't, no matter what they've done, we, we don't have the choice to be able to say, you know what, you're canceled. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we just don't, we we don't have thoughts. permission
4: to, to close off uh, an opportunity to witness to somebody or to yeah. exactly, speak life into someone because, uh, you know, if, if we were to cancel somebody mm-hmm. in, in just the basic sense of that word then we would, we would give up on that. And yeah, I don't know that there's ever a reason to do that. Yeah. Uh, my mind goes to the fruit of the spirit
3: and I mean, there's, there's kindness and gentleness. And I think if like, I, th- I feel like for believers that we need more gentleness yeah, and <laughs> we need to be a little bit more gentle at times. Now that's not to say like we, we need to fight for truth. Don't just lay down. Sure. But, um, that's something in my own life. Like I want I want to be a more gentle person in these situations and that, that, to me, is you yeah. know, a little more gracious in, yeah. in these situations, well, giving the giving the benefit of the doubt a little bit more. Well, and I think
0: where it comes to is like when we disagree with somebody, and we're in a culture of rage, and that if you say one thing that we disagree with, we're completely going to write you off. Yeah, and we don't. That's not how we live as Christians. Is to it's okay to disagree, and we have to be able to respond with love and kindness and like you say the fruit of the spirit we have to be able to respond that way because you know drawing back to the fact that you know christ didn't cancel us and he saved us and yeah let's just remind mind. well
3: in romans it says the kind it was the kindness of god that led us to repentance right yeah right
4: it wasn't him canceling us that led us to repentance as it was his kindness that that led us
1: to also plenty in the bible about uh, about loving your enemies. Right. In this. <laughs> yeah. And, and cancel culture by definition. I mean, there's a lot of baggage associated with that term now, cancel, cancel culture. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's beyond, uh, you know, Christians being able to decide how they spend their money and how they participate in the economy with, you know, the, the freedom to boycott or not boycott and those kind of things. I think, I think cancel culture in this sense has gone a step further, um, in, in the hostility that is, that is uh, administered towards somebody that you disagree with. Um and in and in that sense, I'm 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 with you guys. Um my mind goes to two places. One is the beatitudes uh, where Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. Um cancel culture by definition is is not peacemaking. Yeah. It is it is intentionally setting up boundaries um and to to uh, create distance between people. Um, and secondly, my mind goes to second Corinthians five, where we have been given as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Um, and so if we are going to have, if we're going to be ministers of reconciliation, then that, that is the opposite of cancel culture. Um, and, and so, so here's the thing. I'm I'm not saying that, um, we're going to be best friends with everybody that, right. that disagrees with us and that we're not going to be, that we're not going to receive hostility for maybe the the positions that we take. But, but the bottom line is, even if we disagree with somebody else as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to, uh, loving both our neighbor and loving our enemies and and all of that in between. We have to maintain an attitude of the possibility of reconciliation should that, should that come about. And, and, and so, so a cancel culture is almost, is almost uh, the antithesis to the forgiveness culture that Jesus uh, mandates for those yeah. who follow him. Yeah. Yeah. So we can we can and, and here's the thing, people are gonna hear that and they're gonna say, well you you just are compromising all your convictions. No, we can we can forgive we can forgive hostility that is towards us because of our convictions, because of our beliefs, we can forgive and maintain an attitude of restoration and reconciliation without compromising our convictions or what our beliefs are. The bottom line is um is is we need we need to If our inclination is to cancel and to just cut off any future potential gospel conversation with somebody, then we need to, according to Jesus, die to that, deny that, that which is in us to do that. And we need to, we need to understand what it means to forgive and be open to reconciliation, knowing that in this, in this world, in our physical relationships, it does take two to reconcile. And so reconciliation might not always take place, even as we provide a ministry of reconciliation. I mean, Christ provided a ministry of reconciliation at the cross, and not everybody receives that reconciliation. So as believers, we should be providing a ministry of reconciliation, knowing that not everybody's going to accept it. Not everybody is going to embrace it. Um, and we may we may get further rejected. We may be the ones getting canceled, but that shouldn't really bother us because this world isn't our home anyway. We're just sojourners and pilgrims in this place. You can cancel me all you want. My, my home, my residence, my 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 citizenship is in heaven. So that's what I'm looking forward to.
0: I,
2: I think it's easy to say to like deny cancel culture and stuff, but still have tendencies in ourselves to do that like you were saying, we need to learn to disagree. Like I know I have friends um, that I've heard them talk about some of their former friends that said some opinion they had politically or something like that. And then it's like, they write them off as like, Oh, I can't be close with them anymore because of this one thing. Um, and it's like you hear one opinion someone has and you assume a thousand others that they might have that they might not actually have, you know? Um, and so cancel culture can seem very broad and like, you know these celebrities and stuff, but I think yeah. in our lives and in our circles, even we can have a tendency to do that. We need to fight against that. Word. We need to learn then, to disagree well. You know, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a great word, David. And, yeah.
1: and that goes back to what you were saying. You know, yeah, we cancel culture usually happens because we paint with such a broad brush right. and things, and it goes back to what you were saying about nuance and sometimes having to having to think through and actually not not pay attention to who's saying it, but what's actually being said. Yeah. Because we form our opinions way too often, not on what's actually being said, but on, on who's saying it. If we like you, we're going to agree with you. If we don't like you, we're going to spin it so that we cannot agree with you. Yeah. And, and, and that's the problem with the whole cancel culture ideas. Nobody's listening anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody's already picked their sides and everybody already decides whether they're going to like what you say or not based on who they think you are. And most of the time, People are canceling people they've never even talked to. Exactly. They don't even know. Yeah. They don't, they don't know any kind of grace or any kind of hardship or any, anything that they might be responding to or reacting to in their lives <laughs> that eventually gets them canceled. You know, yeah. so again, I, I just think, I, I, think you're right, Skylar. We just, we need to have the fruits of the spirit. We need to, we need to show some gentleness and, um, and some kindness in, in, in the world uh, there, there's so much of this other you know chaos and vitriol going on that we don't need christians adding to that the church doesn't need to be adding to them. the church has to look different right. that's what exactly. we're called to like right. we can't
3: act the same way that that right. unbelievers do right we have to amen. look different and that's what the lord has called us to is the fruit right. of spirit right,
4: right. Yep. yeah
2: amen yep
4: we haven't canceled john seth based on his poor movie preferences <laughs> You guys have tried. If we can deal with this, (laughs) then there's hope for (laughs) everyone. That's right. If we can deal with this. That's (laughs) awesome.
2: The last question we have says, can y'all discuss dispensation versus covenant perspectives and the impacts they have on theology? When I read this, I almost feel like it needs to be a Michael Scott, explain this to me like I'm five approach. Just because for some people, this may not be familiar language and stuff. Yeah. So, Mike, why don't you uh, explain it like we're five? <laughs> like we're five. Yet.
3: Well, I, I came across this article that I thought was helpful in, in just kind of thinking through it, and and he framed it in a way of uh, what's common first, mm-hmm. which I think is helpful, and then the ways that are different. So he, the article starts with things that we have in common between dispensationalist and covenant uh, theology. The difference is. But first, he says, we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We uphold the Bible as the word of God, our ultimate authority, and we exalt Christ and him alone as the savior of sinners. Um, But the difference is is in in how we can read and interpret scripture. Um, So I'll I'll try to frame it just in two sentences here and the way that he describes it in the article, and then we can kind of discuss. He says, dispensationalists argue that throughout history, God has had two peoples, there's Israel. And then there is the church. And then covenant theologians argue that God has one people, one people of God throughout redemptive history called Israel under the old Testament and then called the church under the new. Right. Um, and so I thought that was helpful in just kind of framing the commonalities, but also framing Mm -hmm. some of the differences in between. Yeah,
1: that's good. I, I think just for a broad overview, for those who've never heard these terms, dispensational theology or covenant, uh, covenantal theology. Basically, they tr- they, these systems, they're systematic theologies that seek to understand the, uh, the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. between what we would call the Old Covenant under, under Moses and the law and the New Covenant under Christ and his grace. And, uh, and so uh, dispensationalism generally is what many of us were, were kind of brought up in. Um, it sees it sees God's redemptive plan in history happening uh, in different ways through different dispensations. Uh, they have been uh, in a in a in a classical sense now and understand in the classical sense of dispensationalism, this systematic theology is only about 200 years old. It was started, uh, it was, it was first kind of formulated and, and, and put into, uh, into words by uh, John Darby back in 1830. It was made popular as it was infused into the Schofield Bible of the early 1800s. And, uh, and so, uh, so the dispensationalism is a relatively new, Uh, understanding of the relationship between Israel and the church, between the old Testament and the new Testament, God has acted in different dispensations. Uh, It started at creation with innocence. um, And then, and then in the fall from the fall to Noah was this dispensation of conscience as, uh, as people became aware of uh, good and evil, and then eventually evil ruled in every intent and aspect of every man's heart and, and thoughts um, and then it was, um, uh, the, uh, the, the conscious, and then human government is the, is Noah to Babel. Um, that was the dispensation of human government where God was establishing, uh, human rule and reign and, and, um, and, and putting government into place to rule over societies. Then it was, uh, under Abraham, the promise. Um, and then under, uh, uh, Christ, it was grace. Um, and then, and then the kingdom. I think that was uh, The law, yeah, uh, in between, yeah, uh, was, was, uh, was the law. Uh, so, so after the promise, uh, of Abraham was the law and then grace and then okay. kingdom. So, so those are the dispensations. And here's, here's the difference. The covenants, uh, the covenantal theology flows that same, has that same understanding. But but there but the difference is the dispensations have a specific beginning and an end and God operated in a particular way in that moment. Covenant theology sees the differences, but it's 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 one covenant um, that is that is flowing from flowing throughout history. So there's no distinct beginning and end necessarily. There is a uh, a a. Adam covenant, Adamic covenant, there is a Noahic covenant, there is a Davidic covenant, there's an Abrahamic covenant prior to that. Uh, So they see these different covenants, but they see them all pointing to a one common redemptive plan where we are saved by grace through faith. Okay. Um, in, In dispensationalism, there was a tendency in classic dispensationalism to say that Israel was saved by faith, but through adherence to the law. And now in the church, because Israel rejected Christ, the church became kind of a a parenthetical mechanism to salvation. So salvation was always supposed to be uh, available from the Jewish people, uh, but the Jewish people were actually God's chosen people. They were saved by adherence to the law and and faith was a part of that. Um, and, And they rejected Jesus. And so now we're in this parenthetical kind of expression of salvation where by faith in Christ, By grace, we are saved into the the church. But then there's going to come an end to that dispensation. And then the Jewish people are going to be restored to the original intention of what God had planned. And there are unfulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament that still apply to ethnic Israel and the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled eventually at the end of the church age when God reestablishes Israel as, uh, as uh, his mechanism for salvation of the world. Um, and, and so, so again, that, that's why in dispensational thought, and really to, to be transparent in much of, of early Baptist life um, and uh, independent Baptist and Southern Baptist and, and all of that, that's why there's such uh, an importance placed on Israel uh why politically evangelicals tend towards governmental policies that are going to be friendly to Israel uh because because there's a there's a an element of evangelicalism out there that, that believes that Israel is gonna play a prominent role in the end of time and they want America to be on the right side of all of that. Which which I get, I understand that. Um, and so they we need to be friendly to Israel because Israel is still God's chosen people. It's just right now we're in this kind of parenthetical expression of redemption through, through the church. But that's going to come to an end, and then God is going to pick up where he left off with Israel. So that's kind of classic dispensationalism. Um, and, and that's what I was brought up in. That's what I was brought up to believe. It tends to lead towards the end times theology that many of us have subscribed to with uh, with this idea of a, a rapture of the church. And then the establishment of the kingdom um, where we will rule and reign with Christ. And Israel will once again be the primary agent uh, in the physical realm. The church will be the primary agent in the spiritual realm ruling over that. And there's going to be this thousand year literal rule and reign of Christ and his saints over the world where Israel is still the the, the, the prominent uh, missionary vessel of God once again, uh, as they were supposed to have been in the Old Testament. So, so that's that's kind of classic dispensationalism. Um, th- there has been a movement, though, uh, rightly so, in my opinion, towards a more progressive dispensationalism. Which, in progressive dispensationalism, we understand the different disposa- uh, dispensations, um, but we we have uh, we have softened the lines of distinction between dispensations and covenant. We also understand that there was an old covenant. Uh, And a new covenant, Um, but, but there is fluidity in those two things. In other words, uh, Israel wasn't, I, I will, I would believe that Israel wasn't saved by obeying the law, that Israel was saved by trusting in God. And a Messiah that he was that was going to come. So, so there was always an element of faith involved, even in ethnic Israel. So there were people in Israel who were called corporately the chosen people of God, but not all of those chosen people of God um, entered into the presence of God because there was an element of faith and trust required in that. Same as for the church now, um, we. Place our faith and our trust and our confidence in a Messiah that has come. So either way, no matter what perspective you're looking at, progressive dispensationalism would say that salvation has always come by grace through faith in Christ, whether they were looking forward to that Christ or looking back to a Christ that has come. The, the mechanism for salvation and God's plan of redemption has what has been, has always been the same, that that has never changed. Dispensationalism would say that it it has changed throughout the different dispensations. And that's a, a, again, there's some, a lot of nuance in both of those, but I would, I would say that that's kind of a a broad overview of, of what that, what that is, what those two are at least are about. So then we could go to the the side of covenantalism. And, and covenantalism sees one covenant. Uh, they recognize the different covenants throughout, but it's just it's one covenant, one plan of redemption. So I would I would agree with that. Sure. Um, the 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 difference though in covenantalism, um, and this does tend to be a, a, a much more reformed position. Um, so if generally if you were a Baptist being brought up in, in in Southern Baptist life in the fifties and sixties, you were learning dispensationalism, whether you whether you uh, applied that term to it or not is immaterial. That's what you were learning. If you were brought up in a Presbyterian church, you were being brought up in covenantalism. Um, and, and, and so they see it all as as one continuing covenant. The covenants are the same. It's just the administration of those covenants is is what has changed. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, you were the, the people of God uh, by circumcision. Um, and so families were part of the Old Testament covenant. They were part of the people of God. But only the elect within the chosen people of God were actually saved. And it's the same in the in the from a New Testament perspective. What a covenant theologian will say is that we are in the covenant as families will. We but but the administration of that covenant is no longer circumcision; it's baptism, and so that's why Presbyterians will will baptize their children into the covenant. But but again, what what's believed is that there can be people uh, in the covenant. That but that will walk away from that covenant, will reject that covenant, will will live apostate to, to that covenant, um, and so only the elect of God within that covenant, uh, w- within the that chosen the, that covenant people, uh, only the elect of God actually receive salvation and make it to heaven. So there's a heavy emphasis on election in a in a covenantal uh, theological framework, um, which again has been is very different from a, a traditional understanding in, in traditional Baptist life. Um, And so so there are there was a movement in Baptist life towards a more reformed understanding of our salvation in many cases, rightly so. Um, And so what happens is now you have not just covenantalism, but you have progressive covenantalism, Um, just like dispensationalism. You have a a more, I I think, a, a view that that runs closer to Scripture in progressive dispensationalism, you have covenantalism, but you also have a view that, that tries to align itself more, uh, more consistently with scripture called progressive covenantalism. And they see the, the covenants being played out as, as progressive, pointing to the, the new covenant in Christ. Um, so the method of salvation has always been the same. Um, but they, they, under they don't under they understand the idea of of covenant coming from regeneration and conversion and salvation and that kind of thing. So if you are in the covenant, you are in the covenant because you have been saved. And so you you they re, they rejected uh, pedo baptism. They rejected baptizing infants into the covenant in favor of um, of. In this new covenant, it is a a believer's baptism, a believer's profession of faith, one that models more closely what Jesus modeled for us and demonstrated for us in Scripture. And so, progressive covenantalism is covenantalism without infant baptism. Uh, to to kind of bring it bring it down to the to, to the bottom line. And, and there are strengths in all of these, and there are weaknesses in all of these. Uh, for, for me, the, the reason, again, I was brought up in, in dispensationalism, but I, I, I kind of moved more towards a progressive side to that. Uh, because my understanding of the second coming of Christ, what I read in Scripture and what I see throughout church history and what we read in the early church fathers and even what we read in Paul is the, the return of Christ has always been imminent, it has always been expected. Every generation of believers has expected Christ to return and their generation. But with dispensationalism, if you look back on it as a system, what you're implying is that certain things had to happen before Christ could come again. Um, Israel, for instance, was scattered from the land in AD 70. So so in a, in a classic dispensational view uh, the in-gathering of Israel would have to take place before the second coming of Christ, which, which again means that Christ could not have come until 1948. But this is why the event of 1948 when Israel was reestablished as, as a nation in the land. That's why that is such an important, uh, prophetic event in the mindset of those who hold to a dispensational belief, because that is the fulfillment of prophecy in their, in their theological system. Um, but for me, that doesn't, it, Israel did not have to return to the land. The temple does not have to be rebuilt before the return of Christ could come, because nobody in the early church understood it that way, or read the scriptures that way, or understood the teachings of Jesus that way. They anticipated the imminent return of Christ in their generation, and so we can't. We it, it it's we have to be careful in developing theological systems that place uh, that place scripture into frameworks that it was never intended to be. Placed uh, that was never intended to be put into, um, and, and so again, I think that there are some there are some strengths to understanding that. We I, I think the the biggest thing, is, you know, the writer of Hebrews starts out at the very beginning. It probably speaks more to progressive revelation than progressive anything else. But the writer of Hebrews talks about how God has in the past spoken in various ways through the prophets and through the you know things. But the, today, in these last days, He has spoken through Jesus. So we understand that there are different um, ways that God has communicated truth to us. Uh, throughout the the varying covenants or dispensations uh, i think the commonality Scott you you said there was an article that tried to find the common ground in some of those mm-hmm. things the commonality is is very uh the covenants in a covenantal system line up right very closely with the dispensations of a dispensational system right. so they're both taking these things from scripture um they're just dividing them out um uh, and and thinking about them in different ways, what the purposes of those dispensations or covenants really are. Mm-hmm. So again, that's that's a broad brush. There's yeah. there's nuance. There's somebody that can come in that can give you the details of some of these things. But the bottom line is, even within progressive uh, progressive dispensationalism or progressive covenantalism, there there are varying views and different ways of, of interpreting things, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation and the end of time and, and, and how we see some of those things playing out. If there's a literal millennial kingdom, dispensationalists tend to lean more towards a literal millennium kingdom, but, and, and covenantalists do not. They see it more as a spiritual event, maybe that we're living in the millennial kingdom now and, 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 at the end of that, Christ will come and, and, and establish his kingdom in the fullness of his glory. But there are, like, like a, we were talking about earlier, John MacArthur kind of, kind of takes a mediating approach. He is very reformed in his theology and in his soteriology and with the concept of the elect of God, but he is also dispensational with regard to his, his view of how we are treating the end times. He believes in a literal millennial kingdom and, uh, a, a rapture of the church and, and all of those things. So, so again, everybody's going to think with a little bit of nuance and, these things. Um, I can tell you where I, where I, where I stand because I came up in a dispensational, uh, type of, uh, of, uh, environment. I would lean more towards a pro- progressive dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I under, but I, because I do see the plausibility of literal fulfillment of prophecy in a future ethnic Israel, mm-hmm. whether that happens or not as immaterial. if God is going to fulfill those things spiritually through his church, I'm fine with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that the book of Romans um talks about salvation coming to the Gentiles in order to in or in order to make the Jewish people jealous enough to return to God. so I think part of the mission of the church is to share the gospel with uh with Jewish people with ethnic Israel, but I also think that that's not so that they can have some place. As the main missionary mechanism of God's God in the future, I think it's so that they can join us in the kingdom as well. The kingdom now is for for Jew and Gentile, mm-hmm. all those who are converted and and uh, regenerated and in, and in, uh, in place of faith and trust in Christ. So, right. so right. I, I do think there's a commonality at the end that's going to involve both Jew and Gentile. Yeah, yeah. Now I'll cancel you because yes. I. Would not fall in that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Please don't cancel. Canceled. Yeah.
3: Don't cancel. I, I haven't looked into this a ton, so this this was an interesting question to me. But I and mean, you explained it really well. I I would probably it, it makes sense to me the layout of scripture and understanding of one people right. that makes sense in my mind. But again, it's not been a something that I've really dug into a ton. So I would right. probably be more leaning in the progressive. Covenantalism, Covenantalism, right? right. Than than the dispensationalism. Yeah. And
1: I'm good with the nuance in yeah. both of those things. Yeah. I, I'm I'm good with the language of both of those yeah. because I'm really I just haven't really settled. I think I was more dogmatic about the about my end times, my eschatology, my end times theology. Yeah, uh, I was more dogmatic about it when I was younger. I'm less dogmatic about it now mm-hmm. because I, I I when I read Revelation, I, I read it differently than when I first read it. Mm-hmm. And I see things happening in cycles, but I also see how those trumpets and those uh, the the and those bowls and the seals and all of that are overlapping yeah. uh, visions of the same event. Yeah. So I'm 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 good with that that position yeah. as
3: well. But your your comment about uh, over spiritualizing mm-hmm. things and. Missing it because it's meant to be literal is is interesting to me because, because, I mean, you, you made the comment earlier in the office about Israel missed it because they were looking for the Yeah. <laughs> the first coming of Christ right, yes.
1: took place over time. Yeah. It took 33 years for the first coming of Christ to play itself out. Yeah. And the Jewish people had spiritualized the coming of the Messiah so much so that they. They missed and then rejected the actual coming of Messiah because that wasn't on their radar. And so I don't want us to do, I don't want us to treat the second coming of Christ the same way. I want us to be open to a literal fulfillment. I want us to be open to doing what Jesus tells us to do is that's, you know, just be, be aware of the signs. Now, again, I will, I will try to caution people because everybody says, you know, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming soon because just look at the signs. Well, all we know is that Jesus is coming. We're one day closer to Jesus coming than we were yesterday. And that's all we can say because every generation since the first century church has been able to make that same claim, man, just look at how bad things are. Jesus Mm -hmm. has to be coming soon. Just Mm -hmm. look at how bad things are. Jesus has to be coming soon. And so, so every generation has gone through that. And so we just, we just can't be, there, there are some people that are so dogmatic about the fact that he is coming now, especially since Israel has been reestablished as a country and all these other things. See, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. You know, it might be, but it might not be. Right. What we, what we want to do is, is use all of this, uh, to instill in us a sense of urgency for the gospel and a sense of love for other people. Yeah. See, in, in, in these frameworks of theology, there is no room for things like cancel culture that we were talking about. We don't have time to be canceling people because we should be we should be sharing yeah. the love of Christ and the gospel with people. And if we get so wrapped up in, in the, 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 uh, the vitriolic politics of the day, then we're going to miss opportunities to actually share the gospel uh, with, with people who may or may not receive it. But that's not up to us. Uh, What's up to us is to be faithful with the gospel that's been entrusted to us, Mm -hmm. and uh, and so we don't want to get necessarily bogged down. And so I I love having these theological discussions, and I love talking about the nuances of them, and because it just sharpens, it sharpens me, and it and it makes me go back to scripture. Mm -hmm. It sharpens my my ability to to handle scripture, but I'm also good with living in the tensions of the unknowns, sure. And Mm -hmm. and so I'm I'm really good with that, and because of that, I'm able to have gospel conversations with people who may fall on a, a wide variety of 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 theological, you know, uh, number lines, uh, uh, theological yeah.
4: positions. So. Yeah. I think what, what Skylar said to start kind of the whole conversation, which you read in that article that, you know, on the primary issues and even most of the secondary yeah. issues, like whether you're progressive or covenantal or dispensational or progressive or dispensational, we like, we're going to agree on those core tenets of the gospel. Right. And so there's, I don't see any
1: need to divide over any of that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, whether, whether all of Israel is going to be saved or not. I mean, that's, that's in God's hands. That That's something, that's only a God knowledge thing. Um, and that, that really should, not that, that should not deter us from the mission that Christ has given to us, which is to make disciples of the nations. And so, so again, um, we, we put in front of us, we hold in front of us, the cross of Christ as our, as our, as our focus, as our driving factor. Well, what does that cross drive us to? It drives us to the great commandment and great commission. And so, yes, we live in the church, whether the church is a part of an ongoing covenant that started all the way back, um, in, in Adam or the church is a parenthetical covenant, uh, while God waits to use Israel again sometime in the future, none of that matters. The mission is still the same. And so we need to be about that mission. We need to be about that gospel.
2: Yeah. I
1: feel like on a
2: scale of where people land on this, I've read and listened to and respected men that have, Land on different places right. of that. Right. I, I think, I mean, I'm pretty fresh to this stuff, but I, this may be a wrong perspective to have, but I wouldn't want to look at one of those guys and say, where do they land? And then hold to that and bring that framework to me reading scripture. I think I would want to read scripture for myself and let this shape my framework. Right. Absolutely. For, to figure out where I would land yeah. on that. I think that's just one caution right. I would have because I have a tendency to be like, well, I don't know a lot. Let me go to someone that's got their PhD and has been doing this for years and just grab what they hold to and just be like, that's my framework now. I just, I don't know. I would have a tendency myself and I want to resist that.
1: Well, where, where those are helpful is, is it is helpful to read those. Right. But I think you're right. I think we start with scripture. And then when we don't understand something in scripture or a particular flow of scripture or how something ties together, um, then, then I think it's good to, to go to those resources and, and have the, have, but, but more than one. Right I mean, you know you right, need to exactly. read more than one of those so that you can you can make an intelligent and informed decision for yourself as to where where your view of the bible is going to fit into one of these one of these Absolutely. theology. now for some people none of that matters they don't care about having their theology labeled So they, it doesn't, these labels don't matter to them. They're going to say they believe the Bible and that's fine. They are actually going to have a particular interpretation that fits in one of these systems, but whether they want to acknowledge that or not is immaterial. Right. And that's where most of us grew up, by the way. Mm -hmm. I I think I, I don't know that I ever understood my, my eschatology or my soteriology in terms of dispensationalism or covenant. I didn't know what those terms were growing up or even, even in the early days of as as an adult, as a a Christian leading Bible studies and stuff, that stuff just wasn't, that that wasn't uh, a, a part of my vocabulary. Yeah, same. Uh, so mm-hmm. so I, you know I, I, we don't want we don't want anybody to get hung up on. Oh man, I don't know what I am. No, you're if you've been if you place your trust in Christ, you're a Christian, um, and then your lifelong journey is to be discipled in that yeah. walk with Christ, so that you can be used for His glory and the glory of His kingdom. And part of that is reading your Bible and understanding it in the ongoing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so yeah. so that's what we do. And then we have fun. I, I think yeah. these kind of conversations should be a lot of fun. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, of course, back in the Reformation, um, those conversations weren't fun And, and, and those guys were having to deal with with really, really strong issues. The one good thing about evangelicalism, at least in the context of these kind of conversations, is most of the folks having these conversations believe the Bible. Right. <laughs> and believe in the authority and sufficiency of scripture. And so if, if we can, if we can start there, right. then these conversations can be, a, be a lot of fun. And if you get
4: canceled now, you don't get your head cut off. Exactly. Or exactly. Yeah. So exactly. You know, there's an upside. That's right. That's right.
1: Yeah. So that's good. I, I again, I like having these conversations um, I mean, because there are differences in, in our soteriology and in, in what we believe, um, not the mechanism of salvation or how we're saved, right. but how that salvation plays itself out through regeneration and conversion and where faith and repentance and all of that fits in. There are different systematic theologies that put those things in different orders. But the bottom line is, regardless of which systematic you subscribe to, we we... we all agree that we are we are in the elect by faith and repentance. Now, whether that faith and repentance comes at at conversion and whether regeneration happens at conversion or regeneration happens before, all of those are the the, the nuances that we, we tend to talk about um, when we're talking about the differences on our sociological perspectives. Um, and, and the bottom line, the way that plays itself out, there there may be some implications in what we believe and how we live our lives for the glory of Christ in his kingdom. So what we never want to do is lose perspective of the mission mm-hmm. in these theological conversations, yeah. as good as they might be as nerdy as some of you might think they are. Um, we never want to lose perspective of the mission of Christ, which is to make disciples of the nations, to love God and to love others in a way that makes his kingdom attractive. And uh, so I hope that we're able to, to continue uh, to do that. Even as we look forward to the the full, the full establishment of the kingdom of Christ in the future, whatever that looks like. Yeah, absolutely.
2: It's weird. And high in at the time I was, reading these commentaries, I didn't realize these different frameworks coming out, but in hindsight reading, I was just looking back at some of my sermon notes. i would read two or three different commentaries and they based on their framework of what we've been talking about covenant or dispensationalism, they would get different things out of the text. I preached Romans 11 and we talked about the remnant chosen by grace. One commentator would say at the end of time, unbelieving Jews, some are going to believe whereas another guy is just like, no, he's talking about, just the church. The church, Christians, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So
1: remnant, remnant always meant people who were a part of the, uh, of the congregation of Israel, but who actually were living by trust in God. Right. Um, and, but remnant, if from a New Testament perspective might mean something different to somebody else. Yep. Yeah. It's just interesting. One of the things that we also want to make sure, um, of is that we don't, we don't disconnect. And this is why I like these conversations. Um, and this is why I like covenantalism as well it keeps us from disconnecting from the old Testament altogether, right? Because there's a movement and there's movement in some places, even in evangelicalism Mm -hmm. that, that want to just, there's, there's a complete disregard for anything in the old Testament because that was an old dispensation. It no longer pertains to us. Um, but, but I think that we see, see my contention is, and this is where it makes me a little bit more progressive as opposed to a classic dispensationalist is, is I understand the law to be given as a grace of God, Mm -hmm. So, so we grace and law are not two distinct things that are diametrically opposed to one another. Um, the law came out of God's grace to us, mm-hmm. just like Christ came out of God's grace to us. The prophets came out of God's grace to us. So, so there, again, I think that it is there is something there is more in common with those things. We don't want to uh, we don't want to disconnect from the Old Testament. Just because we don't like its history or what it has to say. It's not, you know, God was wrathful in the old and loving in the new. God has been the same yesterday, today, and forever, always will be. His word is the same. His covenant has been the same. And so I, I just think we need to keep that in mind as we read these things and understand the purpose of the Old Testament was to give us the nature and character of God. Um, and then to point us in redemptive history to the coming of his, of his, of the savior, Jesus. Um, And so when we read the Old Testament, we now have the benefit of reading it from a New Testament perspective. But that doesn't mean we we dismiss the Old Testament. We read the Old Testament and we preach the Old Testament. We do so from a New Testament post-resurrection perspective, knowing that Christ fulfilled so much of that. I hope, for instance, that our time in Leviticus was not seen as wasted time because we're studying an old Testament, archaic ancient book that has no relevance for us today. I'm hoping that as we studied Leviticus, we were seeing Jesus in every right. in the- page on every chapter of that, uh, which is what the old Testament was designed to do. Yeah. And so we don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that continuity there by, by framing it in a, in a, in a more classic dispensational way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Well, I think we'll cut it off there for today. Next time, we're going to talk about things like the Trinity and heaven and angels and keep some Q&A stuff going. But thanks for joining us for coffee, rants, and all things Christian. Don't forget about the form on our website, pbclc.com slash podcast. Send us some more questions and follow or subscribe to us and leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next time.